if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. Now, the Christian faith ought to prepare us for death. In fact, it should prepare us to face death without fear and to die well. In Catholicism, there's a long tradition of something called the good death or the happy death. When Ed the Protestant and I did an episode a few months back about what the Catholic Church calls the four last things, which are death, judgment, heaven, and hell, I had mentioned this idea of the good death. A few weeks after that, when Ed and I were hanging out offline, you know, in real life, not on the podcast, we got to talking about various people in our lives that we had lost and what it was like to watch them pass away. And I mentioned again that idea of the good death. Ed was intrigued, so we agreed to sit down, turn on the recorder, and have a conversation for all of you about what Christianity teaches about death and how Catholicism defines the good death. So take a listen. And would you please visit our website, consideringcatholicism.com. You'll find the entire podcast archive indexed by topics, as well as short articles by myself, Ed, and Corey, and short videos that I've put together on a variety of interesting Catholic subjects. And while you're there, subscribe to our mailing list so that you never miss new content and news about upcoming events and field trips. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions, please send me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. All right. Several years ago, you and I were sitting somewhere and we were eating something. I don't remember. It might have been at the coffee shop downtown. And we were talking about our last hours on earth. <laughs> and, and I told you that I was afraid that instead of thinking big thoughts, eternal thoughts as I lay there dying, that I would get like Radar Love, the song Radar Love <laughs> stuck in my head. And that's how I would go that's out. That's how you'd go out. You know, I thought, it, it sounded like a horrible way to go, right. which is, and it's utterly possible. Okay. Right. Um, and you said that you were afraid you'd reach over and like to get a last drink of water and knock the water on the floor and blurt out a bad word and then, and then die sooner than you expected. Right. And, and those would be your last words. Right. What were grandpa's right. last words? Well, we can't really say oh, them here. Cr- yeah, right. <laughs> and then and, uh, so, and at the time, I offered to write a song for your funeral using those words, if that's what happened. You know, the, the last words of Gregory Smith. Um, so the offer is still good, by the way. Like, yeah. if, that, if it happens, if you go that's out right. first and it happens that way, um, we, can, we can deal with it in the afterlife, whether right. it's proper or right. not. All right. But, but several podcasts back, you talked briefly about, correctly, were death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Right. Okay. And you mentioned the good death. 
which mm-hmm. intrigued me. Mm-hmm. I would like to die a good death. If I have to die one, I would like it to be good. But what does the church, the Catholic church teach about this? Because I'm sure it's different than what I've always heard and learned. Right, right. Well, let's just start by talking about what the church teaches about death in general, right? So right. what what is death? What happens when we die? And we, we talked about this a, a few episodes back and right. uh, when we talked about the last four things, but we were kind of cramming all four into one episode. Right. So we'll kind of drill down a little bit. Um, the, the first thing I want to say about what the church teaches about death is that the Catholic church doesn't teach anything different than Orthodox Protestant, you know. Okay. Right? And when I use that word Orthodox for people to understand, that means right. the, 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 you know, the, the historic classic Christian faith. Right. Right. And the Catholic church with respect to what death is, doesn't teach anything different than the Protestant Orthodox Protestantism Mm -hmm. or classic Christianity, mere Christianity, whatever you want to call it. Um, or that, you know, so, so there is a teaching on death that would be just Christianity, right? Right. Classic Orthodox historic Christianity. Right. Uh, I think when we get into the good death and some things like that, the Catholic Church has a sort of attitude mm-hmm. toward it, a sort of culture that surrounds it, but it isn't, a, it isn't dogmatically different okay. than that. Now, when we get to the other, the other three of the four things, right, when we right. get into, um, you know, judgment and heaven and hell, you know, Catholicism right. has some particular teachings. But when the things I'm about to talk about right now in terms of what death is, this is Christianity 101. Okay. I just want to be acknowledged that to our Protestant listeners. So the first thing that Christianity teaches, the church teaches, is that, that death is the end of our earthly life. Okay? That's good. Our earthly life. Right. That life is a pilgrimage and that we only get one trip through right. this. Right? There's no do-overs, no reincarnation, and bodily death is the one inevitable event. Right. Right? You're born and you're going to die. The only exception would be that, to that would be if like a very, very lucky few, you get taken up bodily right. into heaven. I can talk about that from the Old Testament, New Testament. It whatever. seems unlikely that that'll be the case in, in my case. Uh, I, I think it's unlikely that either of us are going right. to be taken up like Elijah or, you know, right. Mary or whatever. Yeah. Or you are of the generation that is alive at the time mm. of the second coming. Right. So excluding those possibilities, the one thing that's going to happen is you're going to experience bodily death. Okay. And here's another thing. The, so I'm going to share some things from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Again, not because Catholicism has a sort of different dogmatics about this, but right. I think the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church captures and summarizes okay. the Orthodox Christian position really well. So some of these things are, are direct quotes from summarizing uh, from the Catechism. But, but it says that Christianity teaches that in a sense, bodily death is natural, but in reality, it's the wages of sin. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so death is the end of our earthly life. We uh, are going to, our body is going to die, but it was not always that way. Mm-hmm. The nature of man, the nature of humankind is natural 
and bodily are in terms of our bodies, and there is a natural mortality. Mm-hmm. However, Christianity teaches that Adam and Eve that were not intended to experience bodily death. Okay. Okay. Yep. So if they had not given into temptation, right? If they had not fallen, they would not have died. Um, in fact, that's exactly what God said. If you eat of the tree, eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. And after they ate of the fruit of the tree, remember the serpent who lied to them said, right. they, they said to the serpent, yeah, but if we eat that, we're going to die. And he said, no, 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 you really won't. Right. And then when they did, God said, well, inevitably the consequence right. of turning away from God is bodily death. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense in which, and I think the secular world likes to talk about how death is a natural part of life. Right. And you have to put a huge asterisk on it. Right. Yes. Bodily death is part of the reality of the, of, of this world, but it was not always to be so for us. Right. It was not God's intention that it be so. And that's an important point because it's the reason why Jesus Christ came. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in, and, and God's plan of sin, of incarnating himself as a, as a man and as living and then rising in the resurrection, he makes it possible for death to be overcome. You know, Paul talks about this in, in first Corinthians, he says, you know, the last enemy to be overcome is death Mm -hmm. and Christ overcomes it so that because Christ rose Mm -hmm. bodily from the grave, so shall we rise. Right. So to, to be very clear about this, when you die, your body is separated from your soul or your spirit, mm-hmm. which goes to be with the Lord. And we'll talk about that when we drill down on the heaven and hell thing and all sure. that, uh, what that means. But even that is temporary. Mm-hmm. And there's, and as, and as I said before, in the, th- the last time we talked about this, I think it's important to remember that when someone goes to heaven because their, their earthly body has passed or has died and they, their soul goes to heaven, that that is a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which they are not really fully a human person. They're a human soul because a human person is the integration, right? The fusion right of a human body with a human soul. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense in which the human soul goes there while the body uh, decays. Right. And they become a human soul separated from the body. But then in the resurrection, those two things come back together again and they become a fully human person. But a transformed human person, the New Testament talks often about how Paul, St. Paul talks about how uh, in, in the resurrection, you know, we become like Christ with a resurrected body, but it is a body and we will be rejoined with our particular body. Mm -hmm. So these are teachings that are, like I said, you know, well summarized uh, in the catechism of the Catholic church. And for those of you out there who would like to read about what the catechism says, the catechism is divided up into a series of numbered paragraphs. And the section on death starts with paragraph 1006. And it goes through, I think through 1019. Mm-hmm. So for those paragraphs, the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church unpacks these specifics, but it's, it's kind of what, what I just summarized. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. 
So, so that's what death is. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at the catechism right here and just to, to summarize this, 1016, paragraph 1016, by death, the soul is separated from the body, but in the resurrection, God will give incorruptible life to our bodies, transformed by reunion with our soul. And 10, 000, uh, 1018, as a consequence of original sin, man must suffer bodily death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 1019, Jesus, the Son of God, freely suffered death for us in complete and free submission to the will of God as Father. And by his death, he has conquered death and so opened the possibility of salvation to all men. So that's what death is. I remember you preaching about this way back in our uh, hipster church days <laughs> and, and talking about uh, the, the, that we are not a, um, a soul that happens to inhabit a body, but that later on we won't, we won't need that. And I was so glad to hear you say that, although I think that's pretty much what I thought, but I was glad to hear somebody say, no, right. we're not, because that's, isn't that like an old heresy? Yeah, it's an old heresy. And it's a heresy that has crept up over the last 2,000 years and creeps up again all the time because most of the heresies are simply logical ex- exaggerations or distortions of some aspect of right. faith. So therefore you can take some, you can make the same errors as G.K. Chesterton says all the time, you can keep making the same error over and over right. again. And so then it's come in various names and guises. We have to get into that now. But basically this is the heresy, it goes back to Greek philosophy or whatnot, that, that we're a soul and that at our birth or our conception, our soul, our preexistent soul is put into a body. Right. And then when the, our body dies, our soul is set loose, freed right. from our body to go back to, you know, where, where it started, right. where it began. And, and that the body really is of lesser importance. What's important is the spiritual world. And this right. is an ancient heresy. It's a heresy. When you look at uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, here's what it does not say. It does not say that God made Adam, made a soul, and then he gave Adam a body. Right. What it says is that God scooped the dust of the earth and formed it and then breathed life into it. Right. And it became a human person. Mm -hmm. So we are not so much souls that have been uh, given or attached to or shackled to a body. The body is not something like a, 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 you know, a machine or a suit or something that we inhabit. Right. Right. right? And that's the hair. That's the heresy is that our, our bodies are, think of it like a, what is the kind of crab, uh, the hermit crab right. or whatever, yeah, right, right. right? You know, so it's like a shell that we're occupying right. and then we shed it. That's heresy. Christianity teaches and has always taught that the soul is not pre-existent. Okay. In other words, there's no soul. And then at the moment of conception or whatever, that soul gets assigned a body right. and sent down to earth. At the moment of conception, a soul and a body are created together as one integrated being. Right. And that's why when, we, when, our, when our body dies, in a sense, the human person becomes unnaturally divided. And, and our soul goes to, we'll talk about that when we get to heaven, hell, uh, right. to await the resurrection when they become united. All right. Then, so if I have to die, what is the good death? So, again, I want to say that the teaching on this is historic Christian teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of whether it's Catholic or Greek Orthodox or 
Protestant or evangelical. But as I said at the beginning, there is a sort of culture mm-hmm. and mindset uh, in Catholicism. It's not really a, do- a dogmatic difference or doctrinal difference, but it is a sort of approach. <clears throat> right. And in, in his- historic Catholicism, there is this tradition or concept of the good death or the happy death. Right. And what is that? Let's just say this. Uh, obviously, we can't control the ideal death. Maybe a way to think about this would be we can all imagine what an ideal death would be. Right. Right. Ideal death would be, as you say, you know, you, you die at home peacefully, right. slip away without pain in your sleep, surrounded by your loved ones. Right. But we can't control that, right? right. We can't name the time and the place and the manner right. of our death. I mean, we can get hit by a bus right. this afternoon or whatever. So, uh, you know, roof can collapse on your head while you're sleeping. Skylab could come down and crash through your bedroom. That's right. Skylab could fall through your bedroom. I mean, there's a, there's a, a 10 gazillion un, sort of unpredictable things that, it, that could come at any hour. Um, so the notion of while dying in your bed peacefully, surrounded by your loved ones is an ideal goal it it's not always achievable right but the notion of the good death so in catholicism sort of the saint or the model of the good death the patron or the model of it is is saint joseph so that that would be you know the stepfather right you know mary's husband right stepfather of jesus and there is this Catholic sort of tradition, like I said, culture approach to this, that St. Joseph died the good death, and he's sort of the patron of the model mm-hmm. of what a good or happy death is. And that was, the tradition is that he died at home in peace, surrounded by his loved ones. And his loved ones were Jesus and Mary. Mm. Now, it's going to sound like I said, well, right, but that's not always achievable. Yes, hear, hear me out on this, right? The thing about St. Joseph is we may not get to die at home in our bed, but we can die with Jesus and Mary beside us. Oh, yeah. Right? right. If you think about that, um, you know, Skylab could fall on my head tomorrow, right. but I can be close to Jesus and Mary and right. should I get hit by a bus this afternoon? Right. So in the Catholic literature, um, and this goes back, you know, to the early church, it goes to the Middle Ages, that all the great Catholic spiritual writers have talked about this over the centuries, the ages. And the phrase that comes up over and over again is dying in friendship with God. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Dying reconciled with the Lord. <laughs> dying close to God. Dying in right. a state of grace with the Lord. And again, you can't determine whether you're going to get hit by a car this afternoon, but you can before we leave this room where we're recording and get in our cars to go, determine to be in a state of grace, uh, to, to, to be in friendship with God, such that right. if somebody, you know, T-bones me in the intersection going home, right. I will die in friendship with God in a state of grace with Jesus and Mary beside me. Right. That I do have control over. So this idea of the, the good death or the happy death is to live your life or take certain steps such that you are prepared right. for that by living in that 
that state. Make sense? Right. Yes. So there's all this literature about this. And, and I just have in my note here, a uh, Catholic writer from the uh, 15th, 16th century is Thomas Akempis wrote this really influential book called The Imitation of Christ. And just want to read a couple sentences from that. Uh, Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. He says, every action of yours, every thought should be those of one who expects to die before the day is out. Hmm. Yeah. Death would have no great terrors for you if you had a quiet conscience. Yeah. Then why not keep clear of sin, which you do because you're afraid of it, because your conscience isn't clear. Right. Why not get your conscience clear so you don't have to be afraid? Right. He said, you aren't fit to face death today. If you aren't fit to face death today, Kempa says, it's very unlikely that you will be tomorrow. Yeah. So all this goes to this notion of that we talked about before, this me- memento mori, which mm-hmm. is a Latin phrase, remember your death. And that if you live that way, you know, if we think about it as all of life is preparation for this inevitable event. Right. It's like if you knew you were going to take this giant test. Right. You know, and which is exactly what it is. You're going to face the ultimate test. Because when we get into the discussion of judgment, as we said in the four last things, at that moment, you're going to face judgment. Mm-hmm. And your eternity is being determined. So your all of life is preparing for that test. Why wouldn't you be preparing, right. spend your whole life preparing to die well? Right. And to die the good death, which is in friendship with God. The Catholic Church has this long tradition of how to approach it. It's not necessarily a doctrinal difference, but a difference in approach or right. culture. And we can go all the way back to a very influential book in the late Middle Ages. And that was uh, a book written by a couple of Dominican monks in Germany in the 1400s, early 1400s. So this is 50, 60 years after the Black Death has been wiping out most of Europe. And so death is very much on everybody's mind, part of the uh, life. In a sense, it's part of ordinary life because you're always, people are always dying around you. And you're going to die and mom is dying right. and dad is dying and people around you are dying. And so these monks write this book called the Ars Moriendi. In Latin, that means the uh, art of the good death or the mm-hmm. art of dying well. And it becomes this hugely popular and well-read, widely published thing uh, in the 15th and 16th century. Uh, and then was built on with subsequent works and all that. But basically what it is, is this book that talks about from the Middle Ages, exactly that, how to prepare yourself and those around you for this inevitable moment of death. And I just kind of want to look at a couple things. It, it, it talks about the inevitability, it's like divided into like six, five, six chapters, seven chapters. And in each chapter, it, it sort of, it starts off and talks about the inevitability of death, the things we've right. talked about. And, and then it gives all this practical advice. And so I think it's the second chapter. It talks about the five temptations that you will face at, at death. Hmm. So when you're in a sense close to death, lying right. on your deathbed, here's the five temptations that you're going to face. And then it gives practical advice for you as the dying person to sort of beat these temptations off, to defeat them. And it also encourages you if you're one of the loved ones who surrounds this person or right. close to the person help them overcome these temptations. Right. So these are the five temptations that they said you're going to face. Number one is lack of faith or doubting of your faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm dying and I just don't know that I actually believe right. any right. of this. I don't have faith. And that's a temptation to sort of give that up. 
Another one is despair. Mm-hmm. And despair is a temptation. The Ars Morandi has this notion. It talks about how Satan will be in the room or demons will be in the room and they're assaulting you with despair and you have to beat that back. And the people around you have to beat that back. Right. Another was impatience. Now, if you've been around dying people, as I know I have, I think you have yep. as well, there's this, this very difficult period where on the one hand, the person doesn't want to die, but on the other hand, is in pain or right. becomes exhausted or weary. Right. And this sort of impatience to right. get on with it. And some other time we'll talk about this evil secular thing of euthanasia, which is like, hey, let's right. speed it along. Right. It's going to come when it comes. Right. Um, the, 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 the fourth, I think, of the temptations that says you have to beat off is spiritual pride. Feeling like in your last moment, like, I got this wired. Right. In a sense of overconfidence. And then, and then finally, avarice is greed. Which is a little bit weird. Like, what do you have to be greedy at? You can't take it with you. But a temptation is to, in the end, hold on to your stuff right. or not be generous with it. Right. And in a sense, you know, be prepared to give it away, let it go. Right. And so, so this second chapter in the Ars Morandi counseled the dying person, the person around them, and the priests who are attending them to deal with these five temptations. And then in the third chapter, it was interesting because it lists seven questions to ask the dying person. Oh, wow. Right? And, and there, there are things like, uh, I, th- I got to actually pull them up here on my notes. The, the first one was, do you believe in the faith? You know, do, do you believe right. in the Christian faith, right? The second one was, do you acknowledge all of your sins? Mm-hmm. Right? And if you can't do that, do you acknowledge that you have sinned, the things you've done, things you haven't right. done? The third was, do you truly repent? Are you truly sorry right. for your sins? Uh, the fourth was, how would you leave, live differently if you were to live longer? Like if God were to heal you at this moment, right. what would you do differently? Right. Right. Are you resolved? Yeah, I'm sorry for all that stuff. But like, hey, if all of a sudden I got a little bit better, right. you know, I think I'd go back to my old ways. Right. right? Uh, five was, can you forgive um, those who have hurt you? Mm-hmm. Right? Because uh, right in the Lord's prayer, we, right. we're not going to be forgiven if we, unless we forgive others. I think the sixth one, sixth one was uh, having to do with fulfilling your responsibilities to other people in life. Have you, have you put your affairs in order? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Have your financial affairs, your right. uh, commitments, all these things. Have you put your affairs in order? And the last one was, are you ready to let go of it all, of your possessions? Are you ready to let go of this life, of these things, of your body, of your things? Are you going to cling to them? And so it's a a series of basically counseling a person or asking a person these questions if you're the priest and walk through that. And and then the Ars Moriandi went on and it gave advice to the people around you um, and the people who are attending the dying about how to deal with this. And some of it gets into some very practical things, have have the, the financial and legal matters been right. dealt with? Have people come in? Have things? And so I think it's wonderful that there's this whole thing that in the Catholic tradition, this acknowledgement that it's coming and the notion right. that if you prepare, you can have a good death, even if that means that your plane gets shot out right. of the sky as a fighter pilot or right. you get somebody t-bones you in an intersection or you know whatever happens to you in in some tragic and unexpected way if you're living in preparation right 
Um, and that's what the thing from Thomas Akempis that I read a few minutes ago. If you are preparing your whole life right. to die well in friendship with right. God, with Jesus and Mary at your side and your affairs in order, right. and your conscience clear, right. then what do you have to fear from death? Because death is the opportunity to right. now be united with Christ. Those seven questions I could ask myself every morning. Well, that's exactly right. it, right? Why wait until the deathbed right. to do this business? Yeah. Why wouldn't this? And, and in fact, in Catholicism, right, this is, this is the process of confession and reconciliation. So, right. you know, if you look at right. w- before you go to confession, you're supposed to do something called an examination of conscience. Right. So I go down and I listen, do my examination of conscience. And in fact, you can do an, you should do an examination of conscience every night before you go right. to sleep in case something falls through the roof. Right. So you sit there and you say, okay, my conscience is examined. Uh, I know where I'm at. Uh, I'm going to periodically get to confession and, feel, and, and have absolution right. reconciliation. And, I, you know, I'm, I don't want it to happen, but if I get hit by a drunk driver tomorrow or a tree falls right. on my head while I'm walking my dog through, you know, right. woods, then I'm ready. Right. And I think this is the other thing too, where, you know, St. Paul, when you're in that state of readiness, mm-hmm. Paul talks about looking forward to death. Yeah. Not only does it have no, am I afraid of it? Paul says, right. for me to live is good, right? Right. But in a sense, to die is better. Right? Right. Because to die is gain, St. Paul says, right. because I, I go to be with the Lord. Right. And so I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not trying to die, but when the time comes and when God calls me home, I am ready to go meet Jesus, I'm ready right. to go meet the Lord. And I know that Jesus and Mary on my side. I'm dying in, in friendship with God. I'm prepared for the good death. And so it ha- I have no fear. Right. So everything that we've set up until now would be all Christians, you know, of whatever denomination who, are, who hold to the Orthodox historic Christian faith would agree to. The, the one thing that becomes distinct with Catholicism is the sacrament of, of anointing uh, with oil at mm. death, um, the sacrament of the priest coming and applying what sometimes right. Protestants call the last rites, but right. it's the sacrament of anointing of the sick. And so for Catholics, again, this is maybe one like doctrinal approach difference. Uh, it's not a difference in understanding of death um, because certainly when I was a Protestant pastor, I'd go and pray with people. But in very much in particular, if possible, if at all possible, I mean, uh, uh, excluding you dying in an accident or right. something like that, what you want is to have a priest come at the end and give you the sacrament, right. take a last confession, right. your last chance to make that confession, right. to sort of do that business with God and, and, you know, examine your conscience, give your good confession, kind of like listed in the Ars Marianne. Right receive reconciliation and receive that anointing of the sick, the last rites. Mm-hmm. And that's why all the Catholic priests that I know and work with, you know, they are so committed that when they get a phone call anytime, day or night, and there's somebody right. who is going to pass, they will go out anytime, day or night right. to provide that last confession yeah. if it's possible, if the person is coherent, or at least that anointing of the sick. And you'll right. see people even in situations like in a war or, you know, a disaster or something like that, wanting to find a priest or right. priests very bravely to be in those sitting settings, you know, right. on a 9-11 or whatever, right. 
you know, as the building is burning, if there's a Catholic priest there, the thing that he's going to be doing is going to be hearing confessions and providing right. anointing. So, so that is the one thing is to do that business on your deathbed, ideally. Yeah, it's great. I have a metaphor for this, if you'd like to hear it. Oh, yeah. You could, I, it's, uh, metaphors always help me uh, with this. I, I, um, I read, I watch a lot of YouTube videos about aviation and uh, pilots and all that. And they have on these big airliners, they have a thing called the stabilized approach. And what they mean is that, you know, that this thing is, is huge. It weighs, you know, sometimes close to a million pounds. And they've got to set this thing down on these little wheels. And it's all got to be, they have, you know, these beams to line up with. And, they, and they're given all these instructions and where to turn. And they, and they start. 45 minutes ahead of time they're already lining up and they have to be going a certain speed because you can't just slow down you can't just jam on the brakes right you have to wait many miles 50 miles ahead of time you have to be in in the right places and descending and all that and they call that a stabilized approach and sometimes the tower will call them and say hey because things have changed if you want to take the shortcut and cut across the corner of Arizona there, you could, uh, you could get here 20 minutes early, which every airline wants to do. Uh, and the guy I was watching is, a, is, a, is an instructor, and he said, most of the time you should say no, because then you have to start jockeying around with your speed and your elevation and all of that, and you, and you, can't, you can no longer guarantee uh, that you're going to come in on that beautiful glide path that you've got all set up. And, and that's what it, that's what it makes me think of right. is, you know, deciding ahead of time and not, and not saying, well, you know what, eh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to do this thing, but Hey, I'm probably not going to die until for, you know, for a long time. Well, that's a great analogy. I, I mean, another one might be how even young people, you begin planning for your retirement. Right. Retirement oh, sure. planning, right? Sure. So, I mean, I've got kids that, you know, just starting their careers and they're excited because their first job's giving them their, you know, their matching, you know, 401k and right. And you start, you go, hey, when, even when you're in your early twenties, you can start doing this and start right. planning and you can do all your retirement planning, meet with your advisor every day, make all kinds of shrewd decisions, figure out, I mean, every young person, my kids are already like, I've got this all gamed out. You know, I can go to my financial advisor website and I can right. look at what my target year for retiring, right. put money away, make smart decisions. And right. Right. So we spend an enormous amount of time preparing to retire. Right. And, and think about the analogy there, or the metaphor there of you're putting money away. Right. Uh, you're being disciplined. Right. Yep. Adjusting your plan when things, you know, get off beam, right. you get it back on beam so that you can, you know, ideally prepare for your retirement and date and retire the way and retire well. Right. And your retirement is not going to last nearly long, as long as eternity. Right. 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 So as much effort is put into uh, retiring well, having a good or happy retirement. Right. Um, why would you not even earlier than that and with more diligence prepare for a good and happy death? Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.